Hi, welcome to the Divergent Fitness Podcast, where we use behavior science to make women stronger, not smaller. How is everyone this week? I hope everyone's doing well and adjusting to whatever new routines, whatever new habits you're trying to build, getting support if you need it, being gentle with yourself. We have a really amazing guest. Her name is Justine Feidelson. Her handle is the underscore mobile underscore cyborg on Instagram, and she is a CRPS warrior. So CRPS is complex regional pain syndrome, which is something that's super complicated and not very well understood, but causes uh, severe pain to different parts of the body. And uh, she's really had to learn to deal with this and just to tolerate any other chronic pain that's come from this and strange symptoms and all kinds of things. So she has made it her life's work to be able to support people who are in chronic pain to continue to have physical health goals for themselves, to continue to push into the fitness realm and to know that they're capable of doing that and uh, with the right kind of support and right kind of tools, they can be successful at that. She's a personal trainer and a certified adaptive and inclusive trainer and I'm really happy to have this great conversation with her today. So enjoy. Justine, it's so wonderful to have you here. I'm so thankful to have this conversation with you and I just want to say hi, welcome. Thank you, Amber. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So before we start, I would love to hear the story around your Instagram handle name, the mobile cyborg. What is, what is that? What does that mean for you? What is that? What is that? That, uh, that's a reference to the spinal cord stimulator surgery that I had, um, for the CRPS, the complex regional pain syndrome that I live with. And so Mm -hmm. they implant basically a battery into your body. They can put it in different places, stomach, butt, or back. And then there's a wire that goes to your spinal cord and electrodes Mm -hmm. are implanted in there that send signals that your spinal cord picks up and sends to your brain that help mm-hmm. interrupt the pain signals that are traveling down from your brain to wow. your leg, to your arm, wherever you have the CRPS. Right. So they place those leads, those electrodes in the part of the spine that communicates mm-hmm. with that part of our body. So wow. it sort of controls my brain, like it is yes. talking to my brain and then I feel less of the symptoms, right? Swelling, stiffness, sensitivity, spasms, right. all the things. Right. So that's where that's where uh, the, the the name came from because I kind of okay. feel like a bit of a yes, wow, yeah. that is so cool. I was just talking to my girlfriend about this. She has uh, she's getting her knees replaced, and um, you know, just kind of talking about pain and how pain is your your body's just trying to give you information, right? It's trying to let you know uh, you're in danger, something's gone wrong. The problem is when. Either you know the thing that's gone wrong and you're in the process of getting it replaced, in which case you're like, okay, thank you, body. I know what's wrong. No. You're telling me, right? Or right. in some cases, nothing's wrong, right? But the right. body again gets confused and is trying to give you the yes. information that something's wrong. And at that point, it's like you just have to turn it off because it's like the, the, um, the, sort of the two way, like the telephone there is just kind of broken, yeah. right? And it's like, like it's what do you do when you can't turn it off? Right. Or how do we communicate with that, our brain, our nervous system? How do we dampen that overreaction that for whatever reason, for a multitude of, um, you know, diseases, we get Mm -hmm. caught in that overreactive. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about um, your diagnosis and just kind of just how did this happen? What's your life been like? Um, You know, just kind of give an understanding like a what's been your experience and perspective of being a person with chronic pain? Yeah. How did this happen? It's always a loaded question. Um, So CRPS can develop two ways, sometimes after an injury or 
from seemingly nothing, where you literally cannot identify um, sort of a catalyst event that set off mm-hmm. then these chain of events. So for me, it's likely uh, that I fractured my tibia. I mean, I did fracture my tibia, but by the time we realized I had CRPS, I also had bone loss in my lower leg and uh, my bones were remodeling differently. That's a symptom of the disease as it progresses. And so it's possible that I already had the bone loss and that's why my tibia then fractured as I started trying to be more active after being very sedentary in my 20s, um, sick with a brain injury. So recovering from that, then I started having a lot of pain in my lower leg. And um, they did find the fracture and eventually it was discovered that it was all because of CRPS. You know, the symptoms I was having was way too severe for a simple stress fracture. So for a lot of people, something that minor, though, is what sets CRPS off. You can roll your ankle. Often uh, talked about as a post-op complication, like if you have a real, if you don't heal after surgery. But it's much more than that, and it's much more complex than that. Um, And it's a chronic illness. It's a a disease, not like a freak thing. That's how it it looks on the outside. Right. Well, and it kind of minimizes it, too, like a a post-op complication. It's like this is not... It's not just a, you, you get a rash from the medication that you're taking. This is like a, it changes your life. Some, you know, people get amputations because of this. People have, you know, obviously you have this like, you know, spinal cord stimulator to deal with this. Like this is almost, you know, worse than the initial injury, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, always. Yeah. And um, I mean, then that's what makes it really challenging to treat is that there's poor awareness about it in the medical community. Mm-hmm. Doctors have very low knowledge and training. There's like 200,000 people of us in the United States, I think in Canada too, who live with this. So it's a rare disease. Um, and people often go years before a diagnosis told that, you know, the classic, like it's in your head. It's, you know, especially with women, like you're overreacting it. Um, and then when you put the whole puzzle together, it's very obvious that it was something very severe. Um, right. And it affects your skins, your skin, the muscle tissue, mm-hmm. and then the bones in that region or area of the body, and it can spread. Yeah. So right. it starts in one spot, and mm-hmm. it can go up the limb, across limbs, oh. um, because it's central sensitization. The sense right. that glitch, so to speak, is in your brain. It's in your right. nervous system, expressing it like that. Yes. So there's nothing yes. technically, obviously, over time, you do get skin problems. It's not healthy to be constantly inflamed. There's right. a lot of issues that are not... Uh, in your head or invisible by totally. any means, but yes. why it's tricky because it's it's largely an invisible illness. Yeah, um, you know that kind of leads me into a question about you know a lot of, a lot of times chronic pain isn't visible, right? People don't have a sense of you know maybe you miss out on this piece of empathy that you yeah. get from society in general when people can when people can't see you know what's wrong with you. What's yeah. kind of, can you share a little bit about what that experience has been like and kind of maybe some about, you know, your clients um, are also people who are sort of dealing with chronic pain, right? What kinds of things are they experiencing around this as well? Well, part of the challenge is, you know, being told and feeling like you're crazy and feeling like you're a hypochondriac and, you know, going doctor to doctor looking for solutions and nobody has an answer or a reason for what is happening to you. And uh, the the sad thing about CRPS is the earlier it's diagnosed, the better the results are, the more likely you are to go into remission. But so when you don't have symptoms that are visible, like, uh, I mean, there's bruising, there's literally the size of the limb, it's completely discolored, it's like a burgundy, sort of reddish compared to a healthy, normal limb because of vasodilation and everything that's happening in that part of the body. So, um, 
atrophy, the atrophy that develops over months and years from not being able to properly activate, you know, the neural drive dampens to that region of the body over time. And so people can't see that you can't clench your glutes right. And they can't see that you can't, you know, you'd have no stability and no ability to actually engage that musculature the way you should be. And then you have other cascading problems. Right. right. It's really not invisible. It's just invisible to the untrained eye, right? Yes. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Do you have to just get really good at advocating for yourself? I mean, do you go through a period of time where you're like, maybe I am crazy. Like, do I have some deep psychological trauma that's like, you know, making me think that this thing is wrong with me? I mean, did you go through that? I thankfully, I mean, I wasn't someone who doubted myself and I was pretty lucky. You know, I was diagnosed and only, only took me eight months, but a lot of people go years. So imagine the psychological toll that that would take on someone. Um, but part of the challenge is with these type of dynamic disabilities, right, where the symptoms aren't always the same, where one day I can do more or feel better or look more active or be able to stand, you know, longer time periods. And then another day, that is not at all the case. And it's like, why do you have a cane? Or why do you, because my symptoms change. And the only way to survive is to pace yourself. So if you have a, an extremity that you can't bear weight on, why, why would you not implement, right, some of these tools and strategies that allow you to participate more in life, to do more than you otherwise could? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of it is advocating for yourself, is raising awareness, is explaining how this happens, why it happens, how it develops. It has nothing to do with psychological trauma. This is mm-hmm. neuromuscular. It's inflammatory. It's a neuroimmune situation. It's not right. trauma expressed as pain. Obviously, right. we all carry a lot of heavy things and things that impact pain. And, and that's why I'm so passionate about coaching because there's a lot of things other than medications and surgeries and injections, right, that affect, like it or not, how we feel and how our body right. perceives pain and stress mm-hmm. and danger and all these type of things that then contribute to the chronic pain cycle where you spend more time caught in higher symptom periods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in addition to living in a society where people can't see the thing that's, you know, causing you suffering and being frustrated about not being able to do fun things with you and maybe not being able to enjoy, you know, doing, you know, quote unquote normal, whatever that feels like for the people who care about you. There's also the problem of living in a capitalistic society where there's a lot of value on kind of what you can produce, right? And a lot of people's self-worth comes from that ability to produce something of value. Yes, yes. Like, I was how one of them. You, yeah, how do you cope with this sort of new version of yourself that forces you to slow down and forces you to be less, quote-unquote, productive as far as society yeah. would identify that? Yeah. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you are, yes. <laughs> it's a, no, it's, um, it's a very... Uh, challenging journey to get to a point where you accept that I simply cannot do as much as I used to do. I simply cannot do as much as others can do, or, you know, like some aspirational version of myself in the future would be able to do. And, you know, comparison is a thief of joy, right? For healthy, regular folk too, we're no different, but it makes it particularly challenging for us because of exactly what you talked about. We're told and we live in a world where we are valued based on what we do, on how much mm-hmm. we can do, how much we can make for other people, earn for other right. people, earn for ourselves, um, for our families. And you go through school, you go through your career, and then suddenly you can't do those things. Mm-hmm. Like, who are you? 
what are you, right? right? Where does your value, your purpose, even more importantly, come from? Because unfortunately, a lot of our identity and self-worth and these sort of higher level things that shouldn't be related to a job, but for us, they are, come from that. And so you really have to do a lot of deep work to figure out how else, you know, can you create some purpose? Right. Even if it's not in the context of a job yet, just for yourself to Mm -hmm. replace that to a degree. That's step one. And then obviously over time, you have to figure out how can you be employable or in what ways can you contribute because a lot of people frankly with chronic illness are extremely high achievers it's almost like (laughs) i think this thing like self-selects uh a lot of like type a you know high achievers just it's uh it's different so it is yeah what what a gift from the universe that it sort of finds the exact people (laughs) right who would have to grow the most to deal with this it's sick i know (laughs) rude yeah, that's really, really hard. I mean, do you, so you, it kind of has to come a couple ways. Like one, you have to recognize I'm going to be less quote unquote productive and, and accepting and understanding that like going slow is what helps you sustain over time. Right. Maybe right. you have to like be flexible with alternatives. Like does there need to be just a lot of flexibility in how you do things throughout the day? Yeah. I mean, redefine productive is, is part of it, I think for people, but yeah, I mean, every day is like Tetris for me. So it's like, I, I know there's certain tasks, certain chores, whether it's physical or cognitive that I can do much better earlier in the day. I cannot do that at the same way or at all later in the day. It's going to completely thrash me. It'll take so much more of a toll. I'm so much more burned out. The, the bandwidth that you lose, that you're, you know, expending seems to drastically go up, at least for me, the, the second part of the day, um, because you're pacing yourself feeling not normal and like something is off 24 seven is very draining. It's depleting. Imagine you have a battery and, and something is just sucking, like slowly siphoning from it Mm -hmm. every day. And it's Mm -hmm. not based on your activities or your energy level. It's based on this, you know, sensation (laughs) you always feel and nobody else does. Right. Right. Yes. This is so, so good, I think, you know, as somebody who doesn't suffer from chronic pain, but my girlfriend has rheumatoid arthritis, and I think that I, uh, you know, it's good for me to hear, right? So, like, there will be people who are thinking, chronic pain podcast, like, it doesn't apply to me, but probably right. everybody loves someone who has chronic pain, right? And it feels really important to hear your perspective and understand, like, I really like that battery um, you know, analogy where you, you know, at the end of the day, if Kelly sort of hits the end of her battery, my battery keeps going. Right. Kelly hit it at like 2 PM. Yes. Yes. And then I think you can tell yourselves like normies or however you guys, (laughs) however you call people who don't, is there a name? No, it's actually funny because in the recovery community, as far as addiction, you know, normies are what a lot we call regular folk, but it totally applies to, you know, non-chronically. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So like normies can sometimes judge people with chronic pain by how we would judge ourselves. Like if I cancel something, usually it's because I'm like uh, either feeling lazy or I don't want to see that person or whatever. It's not ever because I'm in pain, right? That's not a reason that I have to, that doesn't feel true to me. So if Kelly cancels something or somebody else, you know, you cancel something, I, as a normie, am thinking, well, the reasons I would cancel is because I don't want to see that person. Then it can spiral into, like, this person doesn't want to see me. I mean, have you They're ever not had a priority? To... I'm not a priority. Yes. How come she could do it, you know, with, you know, these people Last yesterday? Week. Yes, right. yes, but couldn't do it for me today. I mean, have you ever run into this in, like, personal relationships? Or is it 
Are, have you gotten good at sort of navigating that? Well, and this, I mean, it brings us to a, a huge part of right, advocacy is communication and explaining it to people and expressing, you know, why. And in your own life, developing an awareness and cultivating a knowing around the patterns that contribute to what really increases pain, what things decrease pain, right? How to sort of organize your day. Everybody's different with how they're able to be productive. Um, And I think a lot of it is just a lack of understanding as far as we don't, when people do things differently, we don't understand. Totally. And oftentimes it's just the lack of that ever being explained or expressed to a a regular person um, that we have to manage energy and pace ourselves in a way that we don't end up in a severe flare, but where no matter how beat up we kind of are by the evening time, the blessing and the curse with chronic pain like this is that there is a relative reset to your baseline level of pain and discomfort. You never feel normal sitting here right now. My leg is bothering the shit out of me, but normal. It's normal for me. It's like low distraction, but that gets worse, right? As time, more standing, more steps, more things with upper extremity where people with it's affecting their hand, the more you type, right? The more you Um, text. Yeah. So how you are can change a lot, um, minute to minute, day to day, but it's all in an effort to not end up really, really in a bad spot, but to kind of be in the zone where, yeah, sometimes push it. We choose to push it. I choose to push it all the time, physically in ways in the gym. I know I'm going to pay for it sometimes in certain ways, but it helps me feel like I have a say, right? Like it's not the disease controlling me. It's me in control of my life. But on the other side of the coin, other times I'm like, you know, that pool party sounds awesome, but yeah, I wish I could go, but like, I, I can't, I know the price I'll pay. Right. Right. Just like with working out. And that's what regular people don't understand is like a pool party is not easier or, or less strenuous, you know, because I've learned how right. to make movement manageable in the ways I can express it. Mm-hmm. I can't hang the way other people can hang in other contexts. Right. right. Yes, absolutely. Like something somebody else would view as uh, leisurely or yeah. um, really, yeah. yes, it might it like feel good physically to me. And you're thinking, okay, I have this much, Kelly calls it her pain budget. Like I have this much yeah, pain budget. Good. You know, do I want to spend it on the gym chair or do I want to spend it on seeing my friends, right? And you have to make choices that constantly sort of put your needs that you const- you have to, right? I mean, that's tricky because in relationships, you're yeah. always having to, like, sometimes you do have to put another person's need before yours, but the consequences yeah. of that are so much more severe for someone with chronic pain. Yeah, it's, um, you know, chronic pain will show you your priorities really fast. Um, and yeah. it's... It causes a lot of anxiety, um, not just because you're sick and stuck like this and in pain forever, but like every day, the stress of, you know, I have to stay on these exact timelines. I have to do this at this time to be able to get it done by that, to still have enough to do that. And then if I don't, you know, it's like right. constant calculations to yeah. be able to live as, you know, full a life mm-hmm. as we can. Um, but it's exhausting, right? right. Even that right. is an energy suck that, yes. that um, is unique. That thinking, right? That, that cognitive effort, even outside Mm -hmm. of all the physical stuff. Yes. So, you know, I think that like, once you get to a place where you just acknowledge this is my life now, you can really employ a lot of these strategies that we're talking about, learning boundaries, you know, priorities, but how do you get to the place of acceptance? That seems like maybe the hardest part, right? Like people are probably fighting against it for a really long time before they get there. Yeah. Maybe yourself included. Um, I don't know. (laughs) No, I mean, it's hard. I mean, acceptance involves a lot of grief, right? 
So you can't, there's no way around it. You have to mourn what was, yeah. how you right. used to be, what you used to be able to do, the hopes you had for the future, your plan. Mm-hmm. It just got washed. Right. <laughs> and um, it's very overwhelming and it, it does take time to figure out. Sometimes you have to figure out new habits, new hobbies, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you didn't like this stuff. Maybe you didn't like art. Well, maybe it's time to, yes. to think about that. Like, And so for me, I mean, I think of it as like acceptance. I did a post on this where acceptance cannot take full breaths when smothered by denial, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're so busy rejecting reality, mm-hmm. we can't accept reality and right. move on and not get over yeah. it. I will never get over it. It's my life's work to improve others' lives and my life living with this. Right. Mm-hmm. But I can move past it. It doesn't, like it defines me in a way, but not in a bad way, right? right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take over who I am or how I interact with people emotionally. Yes. Um, and so you have sort of have, I mean, you can't die. We talked about this. You can't die, but you can't thrive. And mm-hmm. there's it's an in-between though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's an in-between. And even though, yeah, maybe you, you, you can't thrive in the ways you thought you were going to, or you right. had planned. Right. Other ways um, reveal themselves when you just keep going Mm-hmm. And uh, you re- you have to recalibrate your worth, right? Where does that come from? How do you right. see yourself? Self-talk is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but support is really crucial. You know, it's very yeah. hard to be isolated with situations like this. Um, right. Is that and- what you did when you got your diagnosis? You just immediately started working on creating some community and connection for yourself? No, no, no. It took me a long time actually to be um, like open and vulnerable and forget, make it my career, but putting it, putting my experience and what I live with um, and how different it is from what I look like and what someone would assume if they looked at me was very scary because I thought people were going to be like, there's no way, like she's full of shit. Like she doesn't have it as bad as we do, or it can't be that bad. Look what she's doing. And it almost was. I was scared to give people the wrong idea, right? right? Of how hard it is and, and how challenging it is and how much pain there is, not even physically. Yes. But then I got to the point where, you know, I mean, you, you have to show the other side of it and it doesn't take mm-hmm. away from the pain and how challenging it is, but you have no choice. I mean, totally. life goes on. I, what are you going to do? That's right? true. So, what are you going to do? You're stuck in it. Yeah. And so it took me time to sort of reveal myself in layers, I guess, and share more right. of the sad stuff. I mean, it was harder for me, honestly, to talk about the really painful aspects of it than to show the highlight reel of, of workouts. Like that's literally right. what Instagram is basically made for. It's conducive. Yeah. It's not conducive or as conducive mm-hmm. um, to sharing like the, the real dark emotional yes. that this yeah. entails. But I, I try my best to give both sides of it because every day is like that. Like even when I'm very yeah. joyful, yeah, there's that undercurrent, but mm-hmm. I choose, I choose joy every day. Right. You know, I choose joy in the ways right. I can. Right. I think that, and then when you start sharing more of yourself, you start attracting more people like you yeah. who also look at the upside, right. Who also suffer enormously, but don't show it not because they're ashamed, but right. because they want to live the best lives they can. And I'm not unique, you know, in that way. I, I'm, I'm now lucky enough to know a lot of other folk that live mm-hmm. with this specific illness. Not, not a ton, but enough yeah. where it gives me motivation too and, and joy in that process. Totally. 
It reminds me of this thing that I used to do, um, like a locus of control activity where you have three circles and the center circle is things that I can control. Yeah. The middle circle is things that I can't control, but I can influence. And then the outside circle is things I can't control or influence. Right. So you yeah, have like, so like, doesn't everyone need to do this exercise, you know, no, like just to yeah, remind themselves. Yeah. And I talk so much. I mean, this is what it kind of all comes down to is what can you and can you not control and going all in, all in on what you can control, right? And it takes your focus away from what you can't. It takes your energy away from that and puts it into something else um, and gives you energy instead of, you know, reminding you of the fear and and, yeah, that this doesn't get easier with age. Totally. (laughs) The dark stuff, right? And it's like, I think that people do need to you know, hear about that and people need to talk about that. And I also think that there has to be sort of like, all right, what's the next conversation around this, right? Like when people first get this diagnosis, they maybe just want to sit in that grief and in that, that anger and all of the emotions that you go through. And then the next step is like, all right, not to, not to take away from that outside ring full of shit that you can't control. That's making your life harder, but let's move inside. Like you can find where does your power exist? You know, where can you still wake up and decide how can I make this experience, right? These are my cards. This is what I get. How can I make this the best experience possible? And that in and of itself is really, really amazing. You know, the ability to do that and to not get stuck in the other place. Yeah. I mean, I I pretty much made a switch when I finally got the diagnosis and finally knew what was wrong. It was horrifying to find out that there was technically actually nothing really that wrong with my leg. This was a nervous system situation. And I mean, on one hand, that's terrifying because it's like, what? How, I mean, that's, I'm stuck like that. How do you change that? Right. But right. to me, it was actually very empowering. And I was like, wow, cool. There's nothing wrong with my leg. That means, cause if it's broken, it's right. broken. I, mean, I can't make like, I can't affect that, yes. but I can affect if this is stress response related, you know, it's, it, that's what it is sort of at the crux mm-hmm. of it is learned fear response, which is not because we are afraid of things for no reason, but our nervous system knows something hurts. It knows something is painful. It teaches you it's it's, its job is to keep you safe. And so you have to retrain your brain slowly over time by giving it exposure and more increasing stimuli that will Mm -hmm. over time give you less of a reaction if you keep subjecting yourself to the same amount of challenge, right? Because you're trying unteach your brain and have some positive confidence building experiences where like, oh, I stood for 20 minutes and it, like, I didn't die. Like, oh, right. and like, yeah, it kind of, it sucked. Like I did pay a price, but I took my legs mostly out of it. And like, wow, I feel better in other ways. Yes. Um, and when you start to feel that you have a say, right. And you can influence it, not cure it, not make it go away, but have a say. Mm-hmm. It really helps keep you from getting stuck you know, in the, the victim type of, and I don't mean that. And I don't say that in like, Oh, you're a victim. Like this is, right. this is how it's very valid to feel like that. Yeah. But for your own well-being, yeah. you right. can't, you know, against, you, you can't stay there too long. Right. Yeah. You can't live there. You can visit. Yeah. You yes. Can <laughs> yes. You know what? Everyone needs a pity party sometimes, right? Like that's okay. This human experience is really, really hard sometimes. Yes. Right. Like that's fair. Yes. So this ability to kind of decide, all right, I'm still going to make the most of this. I'm still going to move forward. I'm still going to support people. Do you get, you know, your clients are probably coming to you and maybe they're, 
they're not there yet. So you are you kind of a person that helps them sort of move through that acceptance phase and continue to like kind of pull them back out, right? They're they're maybe visiting that dark place. They're visiting their pity party and like you're kind of like, hey, I've been there and here's, you know, here's how I can help you get out. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting um, because I tend to work with more people who are in the chronic stage of the disease. So they've had it well, often over a year. The way Crips works is it's like, broken down into phases. So early on is first three months, then three to six months or so is uh, past the acute phase, past the disease onset. And then if you still have it after a year, you're pretty screwed. It's very, right. it's, it's much harder to get into remission. Like and so, yeah, so a lot of the, and so a lot of the people I work with have actually gone through these stages and phases of grief to a degree already. Okay. Okay. So they're at a point where frankly, they inspire me where they're like, give me the tools. I want to be better. You know, I want to feel better. I want to, just like you're talking about, control the things you can control, right? So most most people, and obviously it's an ongoing thing as far as grief and being in our feelings around that. And and I work with people who are really, really sick, you know, like we have like multiple spinal cord stimulators, multiple comorbidities, you know, they've had multiple other surgeries they've tried everything in the book mm. I mean, they're yeah. they're the people that are given up on right oh we're like God. you've tried everything and there's nothing left to do but to right. sort of look inward because mm. nothing external is going to save you right like realize that yeah and so yeah it's a part of my coaching and it's a part of what i do i do love about it is bringing the energy and being the one who can just by interacting with somebody give them joy I don't think we've had, we'd have to talk about it as much um, as you would with somebody who's early in the disease course, like right. freaking out. What is yeah. that? And you're, that's when it's so intense and it's so overwhelming of how can I live like this? I can't even put my foot on the ground. Wow. feels like my leg is exploding. They won't cut it off. I'm stuck with it. Like yeah. it's, it's too much. Right. You know? And so it's, uh, it's just a process, but it does get totally. better. Work at it. Yeah. There's, it's individualizing for each client kind of where they are and what they need yeah. and helping those newbies and maybe even people who have experienced this for a long time learn how to tolerate that aversive stimulus and like see themselves being successful there and like yeah. building up that memory over time, right? Yeah. And it's success a, isn't no pain from something. Right. Success is right? Yeah. Like you have to totally reframe what you yeah. view as success and failure. It's not black totally. and white. Yeah. So no. you have to change your perspective. On Absolutely. Stuff. Sometimes success is saying, I'm not going to go tomorrow to this thing. Exactly. That's gonna, right? right. I mean, that's a win. Yeah. yeah. And it's just as, you know, I give people such props when they, like when they work through pain, you have to give people the same props when they yes. choose. Oh, this time I'm a chill. I'm, I'm yeah. No. Yeah. So both are equally hard in yeah. different ways. Right. Because totally. then you have the direction of like, what? Come on. Yeah. Friends, you lose everybody who goes through chronic pain and illness loses friends. It's just, mm-hmm. it's sad and it sucks. And it's sort of confusing for me because I would, I would like want to understand. I mean, I could never see myself being like, oh, it's really hard to be friends with you because you're sick. It's like, what? right, right. Sick one. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm literally here many mm. stories like that. So wow. that's part of why, you know, mutual understanding and, and getting some people who do deal with what you deal with is really helpful. Not so that you can commiserate and be miserable all the time right. about your miserable situation. Yes. So you can laugh. 
So you totally. can trust them, right? So. Yes. You can yeah. feel less alone. And then yes. getting some normies on board who are also yeah. really invested in understanding what's going on yes. and can kind of help, yes. you know, support you. And there so, are so many people like that, right? Like I have awesome regular yes. folks who are so supportive in the ways that they know how to be. Like they can't right. be in the same way, but they do. I know. Mm-hmm. They can't be in your body and fix it. I think that's the hardest part. You know, that's the hardest part for me as a person who loves somebody with chronic illness is like, I feel frustrated at my own lack of competence around solving this problem, right? Your partner comes to you and says, I'm sad. You're like, ping, here's the thing. I'll, I can, I can find some way to solve that. But it's like, if Kelly says I'm in pain, I have, I can do all the things I can do, but they won't take the pain away. They might lessen it. They might distract her. They might whatever, right? But they're not going to fix it. And that is, that's hard to like not fix something, not, not fix suffering that somebody you love is experiencing. Yeah. That would be very, that would be very hard. And I mean, then that's part of the very real challenge of like when you then, how are you navigating relationships and how are you, you know? Right. It's, it's not I mean, I would even, I would even say that, yeah, I think even the people who can't be friends with someone with chronic illness, there might be some piece of that, you know, like, I see you suffering and I feel like I can't help. And I don't yeah. like that feeling of not feeling like I, you know, like if you have somebody in your family die, sometimes yeah. people stop talking to you because they don't know what to say. You know, like That's a lot a of times there's a way of dealing with it. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. And you're kind of like, as the person that's sick or as the person that had a death in the family, you don't have to do it right. You just have to show up and try. Yeah. But I think that vulnerability is kind of hard, you know, sometimes. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge for both, both partners. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we could talk about this for at least many more hours. So it's painful for me to wrap this up because I just want to hear all the nuggets and tidbits from you, right? You have such an amazing perspective. If you had to like send off our audience, you know, maybe some people who have chronic pain, some who love somebody with chronic pain, what are your sort of like best nuggets that you would want them to walk away from this episode believing or some mindset shifts that are really important to you? Yeah, I mean, I would just boil it down. It's a little woo-woo, but um, perspective is your superpower, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's not any one magic methodology or treatment. It's how you view things that's going to make the biggest difference in you know, your long-term success managing this. And being able to grow to see your, your body as something that doesn't ruin your life, right? The thing that hurts, the whole theme of this podcast, but as an asset. And as the mm-hmm. greatest, like really the only vehicle, I would argue, to affect change with. Really. Right. It's yeah. your body. So you can't totally. just be like, it hurts and, you know, I'm sedentary and that's it. Yeah. Because then you're putting all the power into external things. So that's right. what I would really encourage people who, whether you've, you know, struggled with this for one year or 20 years, it's never mm-hmm. too late to go, you know what, what if I tried something different? That put right. the of control, just like we're talking about, back onto mm-hmm. myself. Right, right. Absolutely. Which is a little scary, but it creates ownership, right, and accountability and freedom to some degree. Yes. yes. And I know you were talking about, you know, the whole thing that kind of sparked this episode was this this question of how do you love something that causes you so much pain, yeah. you know? And if you can, can you just quickly share how did you do that? You know, was it, was it finding refinding that locus of control was it you know just identifying okay this thing doesn't totally suck right like it still has some value like this thing as in this body right like what kind of helped you decide yeah I I still love this body even though it's hurting me well I think I mean because it's still such an opportunity 
right? right? Like I still look at it as like, I'm not 70. Like at least right. I have a window where if I learn this stuff now, if I figure it out now, if I, you know, gain as many skills as I can now, it will serve mm-hmm. me better down the line. Right. Um, so it's really, it's, it's all about the long play game with something like this and learning to give yourself grace. I mean, that's been a little hard. It's like a little harder for me than the push yourself. I tend Mm -hmm. to be push yourself and yes, yes. Like not everybody's totally different in how, how they do that, but there does, you know, resilience, um, is learned like, you know, some people, yeah. I mean, you could argue where some are more resilient than others, but you have to train that you have to cultivate confidence in yourself in small ways first and then in, in more. So, I, I just realized that my physicality, not in the sense of pushing like bench pressing, but desensitizing, right. using my body in the creative ways I could to communicate with my nervous system. That was right. amazing. Our body, not, I, mean, I don't even mean in a movement perspective, but in a, mm-hmm. it's the only way we can communicate with our nervous system, right? Breath, right. breathing, so many things communicate either calm or danger inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Right. And so using your body in the ways you can really puts a lot more control in your hands than just right. being and wherever the disease takes me like that's horrifying totally. right absolutely yeah. yeah so instead you're like okay i can still love this thing even though it's not perfect yeah right because it does yes it brings me pain but it also brings me these wonderful memories this opportunity to have this earth experience this um you know positive like hopefully pleasurable sensations sometimes yeah. right like you you can still use your senses to have some wonderful experience on earth. And maybe like you said, it's letting go of what you thought it would be or what you wanted it to be and choosing to have gratitude for what it is and to take control right over what it is. Yeah. And being, being present, right? Like that's a huge part of it. And incurable doesn't mean hopeless. Like it's scary and it's, you know, it's hard to think about, but it doesn't mean in the present you have to feel hopelessness. So that's, something that's key yeah right oh my gosh that's awesome can you just tell where people can find you where can people find you what are you working on how can people work with you if they want to share a little bit about that sure thing yes you can find me on the gram like all the folks Mm -hmm. me on the gram at the underscore mobile underscore cyborg all lowercase but i don't think it matters with instagram Mm -hmm. and uh yeah my i am doing one-on-one coaching still uh that is something that is a huge, like I said, passion of mine and is the main cornerstone of my business at this point. So I also have the Pain Academy e-course that I've put out in the past and will put out again in the future. But in order to work with me one-on-one, uh, I, I have adopted this Mars ID method and framework that I take clients through. And that's exactly what we touch on a lot of the topics in the podcast as far as mobility, you know, releases, right. how desensitize, um, Mm -hmm. creating that awareness, right, around your own habits, your own responses to activity and pain, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. um, the recovery factors, all the sleep, right, sleep hygiene, all of these energy management sort of things that play into how are we able to thrive as best we can with this, and then being sustainable, it's the S, right, sustainable in our movement practices, and how in the world do you progress strength training and an aerobic training when you can't stand or you can't use your arms, and how do you do that in a way that doesn't flash you and doesn't leave you in flares and not progressing, but doing the opposite. So an individually designed, you know, custom program is, I can't Mm -hmm. think of a population who it's more critical for. Totally, totally. 
Yeah. So that's that's been uh, what I put all of my energy and focus into um, for I mean since <laughs> since the diagnosis, but certainly totally. in the last year plus um, as far yeah. as building my coaching business. So that's my goal is to give as many people as possible the tools to shift the locus of control to them and rely yeah. less on these external things to manage pain and feel right. powerful and more in control and healthier. You know, yes. I mean, yeah, it's it's the only way. To, yeah, to... there's a little bit of stubbornness there where you're kind of like, you know what? I don't care what happens to my body. I'm showing up and I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Like you kind of just decide, yeah. you know, and I think that is so empowering for people to be like, it can do whatever it wants to do, but I will always find a way to pivot and adapt. And like you as a coach, teaching them how to do that and not only teaching them, showing them and living it. Right. And being a person who like the, your ability to coach someone with chronic pain is so different than my ability to coach someone with chronic pain, you know, and I'm really thankful that, um, you know, that you can serve this, like, you know, can serve this population, right. Who really wow. needs that understanding. There was nobody in the space, you know, and that's what no. I was coming and I was suffering and struggling and so scared and I would have done anything right to have a resource or to be able to reach out or to have the type of guidance yes. now gives me such joy and fulfillment to be able to provide. And there were a lot right. of hard lessons I had to learn, right? All the trouble <laughs> about my own, being my own guinea pig. And then now I get right. to provide it to other people. And so it's so worth it. And yes. um, yeah, if oh. any anything... CRPS, chronic pain related, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'll be taking clients, new clients in September again. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. For high quality coaching. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Yes. Justine, I recommend wholeheartedly. That's, it's amazing. And this, this podcast will be sort of like a good little taste of what people can expect when they work yes. with you. And Absolutely. it's just been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for coming on today. And Thank I would you. love to have you back on again. I know. Yeah. We're going to have to break this topic up into multiple episodes. <laughs> it's going to take some time, girl. We need to dive in deep. So I know. this I'm was really good though. I think we touched on a lot of uh, honestly really great concepts because it's hard sometimes in my own work or on Instagram to get as into like mindset uh, stuff. And, but it, it is so, such mindset uh, heavy work, even though I don't literally do that in my coaching, it's, it's woven right. out. Yeah. The entire experience. And it's certainly key. So I'm really glad that and I appreciate you providing a space where we could expand on some of these things. Of helpful. course. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that wonderful conversation. I hope it was helpful to you, um, that maybe it helps you find a way to care for yourself better or for somebody that you love who has chronic pain. And I look forward to chatting next week. As always, it's super helpful if you can leave a review, share with family and friends, anyone that you think could benefit from the information. Um, please share the podcast and, uh, Help them to get stronger, not smaller as well. Have a wonderful week. Bye.